0: the whack one, and the on the bounds for City, securing their place in the top four, Saints on the horizon, we know we can beat them, Kalechi still on fire, in association with FootballKitMarket.com, it's For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake, my name is Pete Selby and alongside me is Rob Hayes in For Fox Sake HQ2. Rob, how are you? On the back of two, Leicester wins at home in the Premier League and they're seven points clear of what will be fourth and fifth place.
1: I'm very, very well, thank you. But, you know, I can hear in the background a very faint noise. It sounds familiar, but it sounds like a kind of sound I haven't heard for a couple of years. You know what it is? Champions League theme tune, that's what it is. Oh, it's
0: idiot. getting
1: it's getting closer. It's getting
0: closer. It is getting closer. It's, as I said, seven points. Well, we're seven points clear of West Ham. They're in fifth as the time of recording. And then you've got Chelsea who are on 58 points in fourth. So I, I was kind of alluding to the fact that are oh, West Ham going to be that team maybe to be in fourth place, etc. Liverpool a point further back. It was quite easy, isn't it? Right, and We mentioned on a previous podcast that it's fairly simple to just go, right, bang, West Brom at home, bang, Crystal Palace at home. Three points, three points, in the bag, job done. We kind of went the other way round with our predictions. We said that the Palace game might be slightly easier than the West Brom game. Turns out, the other way round, but never mind. It's all about just getting points at this time of year. But, we are on the verge of qualification for the Champions League. And you could argue that we should actually be looking further forward at the five-point gap to Manchester United. Knowing that Manchester United have got to play Liverpool, and we've got to play away at Southampton, and then eventually we will be playing against Manchester United anyway. So is there the chance of picking up second? That ultimately has to be a a major possibility. The fact is, and I know, we're all concentrating on the top four, but that still has to be into the equation. You also have to factor into the, uh, the equation of the very unlikely case, but still it's there, of... Both Chelsea and Arsenal winning respective European qualification uh, championships, the Champions League and the Europa League, both then not finishing in the top four, meaning only the top three in the Premier League get Champions League football. We don't want that to happen. That would be the ultimate kick in the teeth this season. But we've had two games, Rob, since our last podcast. Two wins. Very different wins but the one thing that remains is that Kelechi Inacho, at the moment, is now, because of the slight downgrade of Jesse Lingard, he is the best player, not only in the Premier League, but because it's the Premier League, it means it's the best league in the world,
1: so he's the best player in the world. Have I said something there that you disagree with? Absolutely not. I was just uh, running, racking through my brains thinking how many more podcasts can we name after Kelechi, Ian Acho and what can we do with it this time? And I think you've just done it there. Ian Acho is the best player in the world. That's not That's not even clickbait. When you put that uh, headline on social media later, if we go for that one, um, then people will be clicking on it going, yeah, yeah, he is. I want to listen to what these fellas have got to say because I agree. They're not going to be clicking on it going, oh, what are they making up here? It's got to be true. He just cannot stop scoring. It, and 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 I think what's pleasing is, Brennan Rodgers isn't blowing too much smoke up his backside. He's saying after the West Brom game, for example, he and Acho obviously made made contributions as he as he always, as he has done pretty much every game since he's been in the team. But he kept giving the ball away too often, and he's got a lot of his game to improve. So what does Inacho come out and do um in the very next game against Palace? He gets himself an assist with a nicely weighted um pass into the path of Castagna, and then he scores an absolute blinder. It just when when he got when he was running after that long ball in towards the corner, you thought, you know what, he's gonna do he's gonna take a touch towards the touchline, he's gonna look back up the line. He's going to come back up the line to whoever was playing wing-back at the time. He's going to go back to the centre-backs and we're going to recycle possession. Not that I've got a particular problem with that, but the supreme confidence that he's got to fetch it down and back inside on his first touch and then shift and back, the, the, the speed at which he shifted it and smashed it into the roof of the net was brilliant and you know what? It's it's difficult at this stage to to say things that we haven't said about him before. But he is basically, and, and yes, it is a team game, but his contributions, his significant assists and goal-scoring contributions are almost single-handedly, but not quite, dragging us to the, well, they, they've taken us so far to the com- relatively comfortable position that we're in. Uh, I was texting a mate yesterday uh, during the game and and when he scored, the fact that we've turned that one point into three, those extra two points, looking at the league table right now, if we'd only got a point from the Palace game last night, we'd be on 60, which means that Chelsea win their next game and we don't, we're straight down to fourth. This is a four-point cushion to Chelsea, it's a seven-point cushion to West Ham. It's absolutely huge, and that's come from a goal from a player who is in the form of his life. And, yes, Pete, he's the best player in the world. <laughs>
0: we, we do say that, obviously, tongue-in-cheek. You know, the people don't take that too literally. But he's he's kept up this goal-scoring run. He's doing it in the best league, I think, in the world. He's doing it at a team who are in third place, pushing second. So even though in these two games there were... Uh, more chances than he has in the last, say, six or seven, uh, blazed over, missed one-on-ones, etc. But it's in a style of maybe not Adi Akinbari, where you can see that he actually, that was his plan, and that was just the way he was always going to take that chance. Um, The first one-on-one against West Bromway just overran the ball, it was almost a wry smile of there's going to be another one along soon. That fantastic move down the right and a brilliant bit of control by Kaléchi, And then he blazed over the bar with the volley. But the game was almost secure when that happened. To then back it up with a goal very similar to the goal at Wembley, I thought. I thought, again, Vardy was going to pick out Castagna, who's had a really good couple of games. Uh, but it was a good first touch by uh, Inacho again. And then the nice, confident finish. Is there anyone at the moment, well, there isn't anyone, who can stand in front of goal with just the goalkeeper to beat who is in better form than, than him? And he's so ice cold. And he always has been, even in the early couple of years of his career at Leicester. Even when things weren't going right, when he did have the chance, uh, he, he not, we always knew he was a decent finisher. But that goal against Crystal Palace, it surprised the defender, the goalkeeper, the commentary team, uh, Bill Leslie, he was uh, slightly taken aback by it, and everyone watching. It was a a really outstanding goal. I think if you look at it in slow mo, etc., etc., then it there'll be better goals probably scored this weekend. But it was just the surprise took everyone by surprise. The, the, the quick thinking, the instinct, and ultimately the complete confidence. And he mentioned afterwards in interviews saying, "Oh, was that the plan?" He's like. You just do it, you know. That's 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 what you do when you're on form. You know, you can you can take that pot shot, and it's 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 fantastic. And again, what we said a few weeks back, saying this purple patch has turned into a a really good period of form. Well, I I don't know what you, you then it goes onto a streak of goals, and then what do you do now? Do you just upgrade the player completely and go? That is the standard of of. In now that's what we we should expect maybe not the goal scoring record but that's what we have our, on our hands now and all the time you always look towards the future the possibilities how you can improve the side and you have a player like James Madison who's slightly off his game we'll come on to him in a second but you have someone like Harvey Barnes who arguably was player of the year and Might still be player of the year. Who knows? But where does he come back into the side? I think that James Madison at the moment, he's not playing well. He's in a position in the club where, because of what happened a few weeks back, which we don't need to go into any more more detail, he's under pressure to make up for that. Uh, But also, he's under pressure because you've got Ayoze Perez behind him and also other players coming through who if he doesn't carry on or doesn't upgrade his form to where we know he can play then then he's going to be out of the side and at the moment he's been taking off corners he's been taking off free kicks Kelechi Nacho took a free kick on the edge of the box ahead of him so he's and many people will be saying well it's about time and I will say it's about time as well when you score a goal from a corner like we did against West Brom then there you go. That's that's more reason why he should be taken off them. But he's a guy who we need to be back to full full flow, full confidence. But is it his position that maybe Barnes would come in for? It's a really interesting possibility. But what are your thoughts, Rob, on 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 the way that Leicester could maybe improve at the moment, and, and with especially James Madison? That the the problem, and the problem is in uh, inverted commas because it's not it's not a problem. It's a uh, it's a how do
1: you solve the uh, the mystery of James Madison? It's a, it's an interesting one because we know that when he's when he's got a run of games behind him, where he's been playing ninety minutes, where he's been getting on the ball, where he's been creating ch- clear cut chances and and scoring goals, that he is a real key component in the team, and he can be on his day one of the most effective attacking midfielders in the league. What we are still craving, I think, as as Leicester fans, is for him to show that over a period of say twenty to twenty five games, rather than five here, a couple there, oh he's had an injury, or the the team's hit a little sticky patch of a couple of games where Madison's gone missing and it takes him a little while to get his mojo back. It he he's obviously on his way back from injury still. He's on his way back from uh, the incident that you mentioned, but I think the biggest thing with Madison is he operates in such tight spaces a lot of the time that he needs to be absolutely razor sharp to be effective, and we've seen that it's possible when when he is. It, it's it's sort of everything. It's it's the touch that has to be razor sharp. It, it's the it's the fitness that has to be razor sharp, and it's the mind. That has to be razor sharp as well, and the only way that comes is by playing games at the highest level in the Premier League. You know, you can simulate as much as you like in training, whatever, um, but ultimately, it's it's pitch time. It, it, it's quite frustrating because you see other players, like for example, wingbacks. Soon as they've got a couple of games of uh, back into their legs after a, after a sort of short to mid term layoff, like a Castagna, rather than a long term layoff, like Ricardo. Um, as long as they have built up the stamina to be able to get up and down, they don't see as much of the ball. And ultimately, if they keep the ball and make successful passes, they've usually got more time out wide. Madison's never got any time. Um. Well, apart from, apart from against West Brom, but they decided that he wasn't really that important to, to look after. But he has to be right on it to to be as effective as he can be the other issue there is that you can't even tuck him into a position where he might get a bit more time to blood him back in because regardless of what he says himself i don't see him as a number 8 i don't think that he is capable of playing proper central midfield he leaves you lacking when he's playing on uh, out wide you know in in the times this season and last where we've played a sort of supporting attacking three behind a, a sole striker, you you lose the width. He, he can't get up and down the wing as much as you need him to. So he's not very versatile is what I'm saying. He takes a while to get back to his top level. So ultimately, if you could find a way to fit somebody in like Barnes into this kind of system then James Madison will quite possibly be a bit of a casualty and and that's kind of like a, a catch 22 really because then if you take if if somebody's starting ahead of him not necessarily exactly in the same position as him but you know say that the other 10 shirts of are, are, are pretty much nailed on and the 11th one is picked up by somebody else other than Madison... And that requires a little tweak of the system, possibly. Your problem then is that you don't get the minutes into Madison's legs to get him back up to the level where he can be as effective as he can. So I can understand why he needs to start games and play 60, 70 minutes at the minute. I think he's gone from 60 to 70, hasn't he, in the last couple of games-ish. Uh, so maybe he's got 90 minutes in him uh, come Friday night. But it's uh, it's it's a bit of a dilemma because... He's wearing the number 10 shirt for Leicester. He was talked about as being on the brink of the England squad. He is that flair player, that that one that people identify as somebody who can make something happen. But right now, it's not really happening. And I'm not saying we're carrying him, but Leicester City is a squad, it's a team, that he doesn't get an automatic place in.
0: Yeah, I'm not saying at the moment that it's something that's going to happen any time this season, in fact, to be perfectly honest. When you look at... Harvey Barnes, and he's nowhere near coming off the bench. He's nowhere near starting for Leicester. So this is a, a conundrum, which when you've just won two games on the bounce and you're in a position where Leicester are, when you're on a Leicester City podcast, you can talk about these next season issues and look forward to it. It's, it's, it is it's this selection dilemma that a lot of fans are talking about. Where would Barnes come into this side? Is Kelechi Nacho now... A absolute nailed-on striker? Yes, he is. Is he a nailed-on star- starter for Leicester? Yes, he is. That's all been that's all been answered. That was the question three or four weeks ago. The, the problem now is what would happen if Barnes is fully fit? I would still go as far as saying, if with the two players, Barnes and Madison, I think there is still an awful lot more there with Harvey Barnes as a player. His, his size, his, his, his physicality... And I've said before, I'll say it again, you've got a player there where if he was to move inside and play in that bonds role and play in the in the Madison role, he's not got the touch that Madison has. Not many people do. But there's one player who was a winger who moved inside to a more central position and turned into one of the best players in the world, Gareth Bale. Is Harvey Bonds gonna turn into Gareth Bale? Of course he's he's not. But the way he played at West Brom in that loan spell, more centrally, because essentially he was a set, the, one of the best players in the league. So they went, we can't just have you out wide where you might not touch the ball for half an hour through nothing of your own fault. It's just the way sometimes the game develops with wingers. They they do go, not missing, but again, the ball doesn't automatically find them. But it, if you move to more, a central position to have more impact in the game, I'd love to see Barnes in that role. And see what he can really do. And run at people. And we've seen now this season especially. That he can score goals from all angles. From outside of the box especially. And I just think more of a central position for him could be. You could unleash a new aspect of the player that we've not yet seen. I think it's a position you would not throw into in the Premier League straight away. I'd love to see it in pre-season. I'd love to see it in cup competitions. And... We might see that next season. Hopefully that will be the case. But um, but at the moment with Madison, he, he plays, he starts. You need that player and we know he's got the skill to turn it on and win games for Leicester. And I will be starting him every single game. But it's just something for the future. And again, at this current time, why not look at the possibilities? Because it's all positive at the moment. And one more positive thing is the performance of Timothy Castagna, a player who... Burst onto the scene at Leicester. Scoring against West Brom on the opening day of the season. And since then has been a a really, really solid player for me. Who on occasion has performed very well defensively. Got forward on occasion really well. Has had a couple of peaks on the old game here and there. But has always been a very consistent player. Versatile that we know. Can play on the left and right. A really good addition to the squad. Good signing. Very good signing. For a few quid let's you know let's be honest a few quid but in the last couple of games he's uh, he's almost whether he's been told or whether he's been encouraged or whether he's looked around himself and gone ricardo prayer is just not at it at the moment uh we don't think we'll see the best of him until he's had a full pre-season you've got um, thomas in the side as well he's actually with Justin out it's it's me now i'm i'm the main man when it comes to the fullback position when it comes to the wingback position and he really has stepped up and it was a, it was a lovely goal which maybe will get overlooked through what happened with uh, Kelechi later on in the game but it was a lovely finish and then against West Brom especially in the first half he was fantastic a, a wonderful pass from Yuri Tillemans, but and so good the fact that he didn't have to break stride and it was a first time ball across Rivardi
1: but before that hitting the post etc
0: he he really has stepped up
1: yeah he has and and i think the highest praise that can be shown to him is the fact that he has been switched over to the right brendan Rodgers made it very clear that he he began on the left well, since Ricardo's come back really it's been Ricardo down the right Castagna down the left and and rogers said it kind of I don't know exactly what phrase he used, but he kind of hinted that it kind of playing on the left limits Castagna a little bit in the sense that he's so good at running the touchline, so good at going on the outside, and you know naturally if you're playing on on the wrong side for for the dominant foot, you're always going to be looking inside to make the passes or to lay it back. You know, you don't really want to be taking anybody on on the outside. And if you do get on the outside, your left foot may or may not be reliable enough. But since he's been back to full fitness, out on the right-hand side, and I agree with you, Pete, he's he's taken responsibility. Considering it's his first season at the club, he, he's, he's gone, right. you know what, I, I need to step up here. This system is perfect for him because... You know, if you if you looked at Castagna, would you say he's a right back? Mm, not sure. Would you say he's a right midfielder? Probably not. So he's he's probably banging between, and he's got legs for days. He can get up and down no problem. So and he it, West Brom couldn't cope with him, as you say, he could have had a, a goal to add to his assist, and and then. Here I am, not slating his left foot, but saying it's his less dominant foot, and he belts one top bins from Inacio's layoff. But you know he, he was so far advanced down that right hand side, and he's just got a little bit more ambition down there, and that's why Thomas has been drafted in. Obviously, Ricardo is still getting himself back up to speed after a lengthy layoff, and you're absolutely right. And and I think Rogers has said it himself: we're not going to see full full blown. Player of the season, Ricardo, until until next season. But Thomas adds a little bit, bit of balance down the left hand side for Castagna to then do exactly what he needs to do down the right. And very, very impressed with him. And you know, this is the stage of the season where all the players can can come out in post match interviews and and say, you know, we're all in this together. We're all we're aware of what happened last season. Obviously, Castagna wasn't here, but. We're aware of the the targets, the ambitions, and we've just got to keep doing what we're doing. But players have got to step up. You've got to, You can't just sort of go out there, go through the motions, and hope that the whole team is is going to be good enough to get through the game. Castagna making match winning contributions. Ian Acho obviously has been doing it for a, for a good couple of months now. Uh, Vardy getting back on the goal trail. Thielemans always outstanding and Didi had a bit of a wobble a couple of games ago but looked very assured in the last two. Um, Johnny Evans is another player I want to talk about stepping up because we've talked about the players, the bulk of this squad going through the experience last season of the disappointment of not qualifying for the Champions League and the tail-off at the end of the season. You know, the, the Regardless of the number of factors that contributed to that, it happened and Johnny Evans is along with Schmeichel and Vardy, the the experienced man on the field. He obviously scored against West Brom, kind of just gambled really and got on the end of a bit of a deflected flick on. But, you know, there you go. A a, a fitting contribution at that end. But the way that he organises that back three, because, and I'm not making a comparison between me and a Premier League footballer, let me make that very clear. However... I much prefer playing in a back four because it's what everybody is kind of used to in this in this country. Four, four, two. You know what I mean? But the three requires so much organisation, especially because Leicester adopt a different shape in possession than they do out of possession. And you know that Johnny Evans is the one pulling the strings in terms of... He's almost like he's, he's playing Sabutio and he is... You know, Rogers is in his ear and Evans is moving the players. For and Soyuncu, I don't think it would have been anywhere near as effective without him. Because, yes, they've got lots of aggressive defensive attributes, but they've still got a lot to learn from a positional and decision-making point of view. And Evans is coaching them through games. The wing-backs are are invariably in the right position. We very rarely lose the midfield. And then Evans comes up with a ridiculous goal-saving challenge uh, in the box if, uh, when when Palace were threatening to to break away. Look, I mean, I was looking for the offside flag, and when you, when I saw the replay when uh, Riederwald went through, um, he, he was he was actually onside. I just thought, how has he got so far beyond our line legitimately? But he did. And Evans could have looked across the line, could have thought, you know, there's even more of a place of the whistle um, advice now for a defender than ever before because the assistants are going to wait so long. He's not waited. He has absolutely busted gut to get back there and put in a challenge that you know could have Palace could have scored that, won the game. And I know it's all ifs, could, woulds, should have, whatever. But that's that is the difference. He's got a goal in the West Brom game to have a positive impact at that end, and that goal saving challenge is his contribution at the other end. I don't think he can be underestimated. And this is the time when those players need to make that extra step up and show their worth. And we're, we're getting it from the Leicester players. And it is it is so, so pleasing to see. It's not just the team sort of inching towards the line. It's players stepping up and wanting to be counted.
0: That was the frustrating thing with last season when it all went horribly wrong towards the end of the season. You're screaming at the TV, shouting, well, come on, there's only three or four games to go you've got to give absolutely everything and at the moment those individual pieces of brilliance whether it's scoring goals or assisting from midfield with a lovely through ball or making a a tremendous goal-saving tackle the way he followed the man rather than the ball to say well Schmeichel you can deal with that and if he does square it which there's every chance he will I'm gonna I'll be able to get this guy great decision making but it's those small moments which are highlighted so much more at the end of the season. And when it doesn't go the other way, when it, when, it, when, it, when it's horribly wrong and there's, there's the, a perceived lack of effort, it, it's just even more frustrating. But at the moment, Leicester are, are both putting that in. So the full effort, the performances, the individual moments, whether at one end or the other. And they also are doing it in a style of patience. Not changing the system quickly. Not believing the process and all that Brendan Rodgers says. Having alternatives off the bench, having an alternative formation, having a plan B, C, D. But, ultimately, when things are slightly going askew, as it were against Crystal Palace, then saying, no, we, we know we're going to create chances, we are the better side, let's just carry on, carry on, and eventually we'll get what we deserve or we'll end up creating chances and then it's up to whoever at the other end to. and at the moment they're flying in and that's the the good thing for me it's these individual moments combined with the team ethic and also the style of play it's not a panic stations just to start booting the ball forward um, although if you got Chris Wood up front, maybe that's the one thing you want to do because he can't stop scoring either. It's uh, it's really pleasing to see. It's fantastic. And Johnny Evans has been really good last couple of games. A word for Wesley Fofana. We all know that uh, it's Ramadan and he's uh, he's fasting at the moment. And it's the thirty fourth minute, wasn't it, where him and Coyote on uh, on Palace's side they could then have some energy bars or drinks or whatever, uh, which was all pre planned and that fine. Yeah, you know what you're going to do. Um, and it's just it's a little bit of a shame at the moment. Actually, no, is it a shame? I was trying to work out whether it's a, a shame or whether it's a, a good or a bad thing that we're playing in the evening on Monday and then in the evening on, on Friday. I suppose it's awkward because if you're playing at 12 o'clock, then that wouldn't be, or 12.30, that wouldn't be much of an issue for him. If you're playing at three, then he's going to have not eaten or drink Water for, drink any water for quite a while but then if it's eight o'clock kickoff he's going to be worse than ever for the first half an hour but then he can actually take on something after well on Friday I'd imagine it would be slightly earlier you know maybe in the late 20s uh, in terms of minutes that's an interesting scenario would it be beneficial for him to be playing at three or eight
1: yeah obviously obviously midday would be ideal because uh, he can eat right until just before sunrise so that that period of time what sunrise at the minute five something in there so you're talking i say only you're talking about seven hours um yeah 8 p.m like you say first half an hour difficult i guess the nutrition team will, uh, will have been aware of it well in advance and will know how they can get the right level of fluids and nutrition on board in the game that's actually gonna benefit him um I would suggest that there's a there's some relief in that for him, rather than the five o'clock game where he's going to have gone best part of twelve hours with nothing to eat or drink, and there's no breaking of the fast during or or just after the game. You know, you got he's got to wait till till sundown. So, yeah, huge testament because you know, I think um, it's it's a difficult enough. Uh, task anyway Ramadan for for Muslims who who don't have a job that requires that level of physicality so to to have the mental and physical capacity to still to stick to it as an elite athlete you know I, t- I take my hat off to him and, and you know Mo Salah is a, a real sort of champion and pioneer of it uh, probably one of the most Famous, if not the most famous Muslim footballer in the world, and and it kind of opened a lot of people's eyes to to what he puts his body and his mind through. So for Fafana to still be turning out performances like he has done is is quite remarkable, really.
0: Yeah, it
1: finishes on um,
0: the twelfth of May, so this will be the the final game. Oh no, it won't be the final game at all. There'll be another one. Yeah, that'd be completely wrong, wouldn't it? You've got. Uh, Upcoming fixtures, as we know, against Southampton. So there will be the Newcastle game and the Manchester United game, which is on the 11th. So there's actually three more games um, that for Farner will have to be uh, taking those precautions. When you mentioned about um, the nutrition side of things and the, the team at Leicester, I, I wonder what what they could do. You know, you automatically think, do you just... Do you wake up in the middle and do you change your day? I don't, I, I, don't know what the scenario is. Do you, do you wake up at two and have you know a load of pasta or something, and then have a huge meal at, five, you know, at five just before sunrise? It's, it's quite an interesting scenario. I'd love to see. I wonder if there's any kind of behind the scenes kind of little document. I bet there is documentaries out there actually about what. Sportsmen go through who 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 do that. It would be uh, interesting to find out, especially if uh, you know on a football basis. But um, the the main thing with Fafana is that his performances are are still of a high level. I think that's the fifth game. Then Leicester have played with those back three as a back three. You would pick as the first choice back three at the football club, uh, and a couple of goals conceded in those. And it, it, again, as a three. They just work so well because of their individual attributes. You, your leader in the centre, your Johnny Evans, with legs either side. You've got the pure aggression, hard as nails, the granite from Turkey, Soyuncu. And then you've got Wesley Fofana, the, the, the wonder kid for 30 million quid who's on everyone's radar it seems who's got a lot to learn in the game but likes to pass the ball go forward etc etc always got a mistake in him yeah but you know what what a player it's a really nice balance to that back line in fact all the way through the side it, it it's just at the moment it's really well balanced everyone's playing to a, such a high standard and you're going to go into a next game against Southampton full of confidence Southampton have been playing games unlike, say, Crystal Palace, who had 16 days off until they played Leicester. And Leicester, you go from Thursday nights to Monday night to Friday night on the back of an FA Cup semi-final against Southampton. So it's going to be a quick turnaround. It's uh, slightly awkward that we do have this. It would be nice if the game was actually on Sunday or something. But, uh, but no, it's going to be Monday to, to Friday. But... If you're ever going to do that, why not do it on the back of an FA Cup semi-final win and two games in the Premier League that you've won at home? Uh, Southampton really should be there for the taking. They've in the build-up to the game in the FA Cup, we mentioned about how they were very, very out of form with the odd win thrown in just to keep the vultures at bay. But those wins were against Burnley, and then they progressed obviously further in the FA Cup, and it was an away win at Sheffield United but then you look at just the amount of defeats since they played Leicester in the FA Cup um, they lost in the Premier League to Tottenham to that very late goal but then again Tottenham no great shakes and that was on the back of what happened with Jose and all the other stuff um, away from football. They are there for the taking it has to be a game that Leicester will look at and because of Liverpool dropping points against Newcastle. What a turn-up that was. And because of West Ham then losing against Chelsea, which I think was probably the lesser of either side winning. Would I prefer preferred West Ham or Chelsea? Probably Chelsea overall. The draw might have been the best result, but still. Um, what I'm getting at is that all the results went for Leicester, or the majority of them did. Leicester took care of their own results. Now we've got the advantage of possibly putting scoreboard pressure on the board and going bang. If we win at Southampton, then we would put ourselves in a great position on 65 points and we will be 10 points clear of West Ham in fifth with them still to play. That would be a fantastic position, but equally a point might not be that bad, Rob
1: no last night as you said to to be the last game of the of the weekend and know what everybody else has done before you that may possibly have contributed to the first half being a little bit off the pace um knowing other results had, uh, what and, and the sort of outcome of a win against palace and what that would mean in terms of creating a larger gap between Leicester and the rest of the chasing pack this weekend's totally different. I, I like the way that you're looking at that because you've you've got back-to-back wins after recovering from back-to-back defeats, uh, and we've said a lot of the time this season that this this team is showing that they're not prepared to go through anything like a run of poor form. There's you know there's I I haven't looked exactly through every single fixture, but I can't recall a time when Leicester have failed to win in say four or maybe five games. So they're not they're not ever stuck in a patch of bad form because they've got the ability to wrestle themselves back out of it. So to do that off the back of back-to-back Premier League defeats, to get back-to-back Premier League wins, this one in particular against Palace, uh, which required a bit of guts and, and it required an improvement in the second half, knowing what everybody else had done. Great. Friday then. You put that further distance between... Because, you know, people can say, look, yeah, Leicester um, move up on Friday night, say we win um, against Southampton, Leicester up to 65 points, 10 points clear of fifth place, but they've got a game in hand. Yes, they have, but they've they've got to make those points up again to reduce the gap to what it was before. And ultimately, if, the, if Leicester win and West Ham win, say, and that gap remains the same, that's the same size seven point gap with only four games to play and the closer you get to the finish line with that gap the same the the stronger a position you're in friday night batter southampton who are dead and buried in terms of their season there's there's no point in i mean i mean i said this against about palace and we just <laughs> scraped through 2-1 but you know southampton are they're not they're not very good at the moment um beat them friday night there you go everybody else match that and, you know, Manchester United uh, are possibly, probably, looking over their shoulders. I mean, would they really care whether they finish second or third? It doesn't make a huge amount of difference overall. But they will... We Le, Leicester win 65 points. There's only two behind United who've then got to get a result themselves to, to maintain that gap. So, yeah, go out, make a statement and... That could put us on 20 wins for the season, which is ridiculous.
0: Yep. And you look at what the other sides have have then got to play. You've got got Manchester United um, at home against Liverpool. So a really tough tie there for Liverpool to try and get three points. You've got West Ham, who travel to Burnley, who have just gone and spanked Wolves. And you've got Chris Woods smashing in goals left, right and centre. At Chelsea at home against Fulham. But again, Chelsea went and beat West Ham last week. So you're looking at maybe Chelsea then finishing in fourth or at least in the top four. So there's two fixtures which are very favourable for Leicester. Again, on paper, we don't know what's going to happen. But the game against Southampton, I'm looking at this from a from a position of caution. Uh, from a position of an eye of not trying to get slightly ahead of ourselves. And looking for for ways and means that Leicester can maybe, um, not come unstuck, but struggle against uh, Southampton. And I'm still going for a Leicester win, Rob. And I'm still going to go for a fairly convincing win as well. The game against West Brom was relatively easy that first half they were just by far the best side and and West Brom were a poor shadow of a team who had won the last two games and Leicester coasted I know Brendan Rodgers wanted further goals and, and improved final few minutes of the first half kicking bottles everywhere and all that uh, and it would have meant a better goal difference as well which ultimately in the moment is, is in Leicester's favour but could have been almost to the point of maybe no return in, in terms of if it gets to the stage where we're level with the team Uh, And then the game against Palace, sometimes you have to win like that. And Palace are an awkward side, played their part. Very solid, big side as well, compared to Leicester. uh, But then you go to Southampton, and we know about James Ward-Prowse. We know if Ings is playing, the quality he has. Um, We know about Minamino, Adams... But ultimately, Leicester should go there in, in, in with full confidence, with a squad, apart from the obvious, is relatively fully fit, should be fine. Um, you've got players wanting to prove themselves still, like Madison. You've got the hottest centre-forward in the Premier League by far, and maybe even wider leagues, I'm not going to say Europe, but ultimately you've got a guy who is... So red hot. I'll give you a stat in a minute about him. Uh, I'm I'm going to go for a comfortable Leicester win. And I think there could be goals. Y- you look at Southampton. And it's quite dangerous really to say that they're going to go and score goals at, at St Mary's. But the way that they finished this season. The way that their form has been, let's face it, dreadful. And they've lost now in the cup. Huh. Um, Their season could really unravel. Okay, they're on thirty-six points. They're, I don't think there's any danger of going down. I don't think a pick up a point here and there, but they really could unravel as a as a side because they have in the past. I know there were slight excuses against Manchester United, but we know what happened with Leicester. I I think that this, if Leicester start well, it could really roll for them at St Mary's, and I'm going to go for a three-nil win. Which is quite... And I don't think... I reckon, Rob, you would be quite surprised at that. I thought you might... Pete's going to go 1-0 or something. I'm going to go 3-0. I'm confident in our back line to keep a clean sheet against them. I'm confident about our forward scoring. It's got Vardy written all over it this game for me. I'm going to go for 3-0 Leicester. And maybe the second half to be the half that they really kick home their advantage. But... I wouldn't be surprised if the game starts to slightly unravel for Southampton in the ways that it has done in the past.
1: I would absolutely very, very happily take a 3-0. I'm just looking at at the goals conceded, and Southampton's is actually the second worst in the entire division, only behind West Brom. Southampton have conceded 58 goals this season. West Brom have conceded 64. Southampton have conceded more goals than Fulham than Newcastle, than Sheffield United. They're very leaky, aren't they? Um, and, and you know what? I was thinking, <laughs> we're at the stage of the season where things will naturally get a bit more tense. So unfortunately, <laughs> the pessimist in, in me is is saying you're probably going to get a few more tight run games like the Palace game than you are... The three nil cruise through the West Brom kind of game. So I would love, and I admire your optimism for the three for the three nil. I um so if you're matching the West Brom result for three nil, I'm going to match the Palace result and go for another two one. I think we'll win. Uh, I think we've got too much for them. I don't think those those people that are trying to make a storyline out of Southampton after revenge for the for the FA Cup defeat. I don't think that's got legs because I, I really don't see enough character in the Southampton team to, to even understand the feeling of revenge at the moment. To be honest with you, uh, I think it's just going to be a game of football where Leicester are going to have too much for Southampton uh, and win two one. That's what I'm going for.
0: There we go, two one, three nil for me. What about for you? If you want to let us know your prediction, get in contact at FFS Pod for Fox Eight Podcast on Twitter or via the facebook group find us on facebook just type in for fox 8 podcast and you can find us on there as well let us know what your score prediction is and make sure you do get involved with the uh, three word review which we like to do a three word review at the on the last game of if there's a double game week uh, purely because it's the more recent one and uh, and depends on what happens in the first game Leicester could lose the first game and then win the second and you want to be a bit more buoyant but uh, we asked people again what was the three word review and we've got uh, Timothy Hammondeggs with three more wins Uh, we've got two more wins from (laughs) Ollie's. slight difference in opinion there Imperious second half Uh, we've also got a massive nervy victory Uh, we've also got uh, let's have a look here so this is the Palace game Uh, pick that out obviously about uh, Kalechi's wonder goal. Here's Johnny Evans. Champions League closer. Johnny Evans tackle. Kalechi is ridiculous. All these coming through on Facebook. Oh, that was on Twitter, sorry. On Facebook now. Let's uh, switch over to the old Facebook. Takes a couple of seconds. And we've got a few on here. We've got... Uh, let's find them out on here. Speak amongst yourselves. Uh, three more points three more wins so there we go all pretty much along the same kind of wavelength which ultimately was the case wasn't it because of uh, of what was a, a a very satisfying win again in, in slightly difficult circumstances sometimes football just doesn't go the way that you're hoping and you don't get an easy 3-0 every week like you just said. Uh, back to the game against West Brom though so these will be Slightly more buoyant with Vardy drought over, uh, Leicester City rollers, bye-bye baggies, perfectly professional performance, Johnny Evans masterclass. So you can really say that about either game there. Uh, Professional job done, another step forward, uh, plenty more coming through as well. Uh, We've got uh, Castagna's favourite opposition, uh, obviously scoring the first uh, goal of the season against them perfectly professional performance and four points clear but of course four points is now turned into seven points at Rob um the thing I, I was I was just mentioning there in relation to um what and this this might not be incredibly accurate but it's roughly right because um because I think it is uh, what happened in relation to Leicester Forwards for the first time before the match for I think well over six years I'm thinking maybe six and a half years. What was what happened for the first time? Are we are we talking
1: is is this your stat that's gonna blow me away?
0: Yeah, now someone might turn around and go, Wow, that was an incident in two thousand and nineteen I don't think there was. Um this is this is a this is a Pete Selby made up stat, but I think to be pretty much right. Think of my- Is it Go on. Oh go on, go on, give me the clue
1: <laughs> before I make it. No, 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 you up. you guessed you guessed first. Well, uh, in terms of Leicester City Forwards, I was gonna say is it the first game in well however long you've just decided that this stat should be made up for um where both strikers went into the game on the same goal tally no
0: um I, I like thinking that's that's good thinking because i haven't really given you a lot i don't know other people listening to this what do you reckon think of the the, the industry
1: i'm from yeah <laughs> that doesn't give me any so i'm talking we're talking about Leicester's front player, did you say specifically strikers? Yes. Yeah. yeah, Leicester strikers, something to do with the betting industry. Any any more clues? Because I'm absolutely certain that everybody listening at home is equally as stumped as me because, look, we we speak and have worked together uh, pretty much every week for longer than I care to remember. What are we talking about? Eight years now. And if I can't figure out what your brain's doing, our listeners have got no chance. I was working on the morning of the game
0: and doing the previews on for, for, for a job I don't know, people know with broadcasting etc, uh, whether they hear the voice and they recognise the name or whatever, um, and I was doing a pre-match preview for obviously Leicester against Palace and when discussing uh, the game itself, it was quite noticeable that the favourite to score the first goal for Leicester was not Jamie Vardy. It was Kelechi Iheanacho. To which, when I was saying that out loud, I looked at my producer and he looked at me and we both thought the same thing. Because once I finished, I said, when was the last time Jamie Vardy, when starting for Leicester, fully fit, wasn't the favourite to score the first goal? And I said, you would have to go back to pre-Premier League winning season when... Zewa, um because he didn't score many goals in that league campaign, he would have been not the favourite for Leicester to score the first goal. There would have been another striker ahead of him. Since then, since that maybe first game of the season against Sunderland in the league-winning campaign, it would have been Vardy all through that season. And since, even when Slomani was playing, he would have still been behind Vardy. Uh, Okazaki... Um, uh, uh anyone really? Even on this run, maybe in maybe it could have happened a week before. But I think from what I've seen, it's the first time Jamie Vardy wasn't the favourite to score Leicester City's or score the first goal in the game as a Leicester City player for
1: probably about six and a half years. That's, that's some record. That is that is absolutely phenomenal. And obviously there might be the odd discrepancy in that, that some Stato might dig out. But by and large, the sort of point that that makes, you know, it, it echoes what we talk about in the podcast and what Leicester fans continue to talk about is that what the kind of talismanic player that he's been for us and that you almost pretty much expect him to score every single game. And obviously the the bookies do the same. So that that also, yes, yes, yes. Um, Vardy's goal-scoring form has tailed off, but that's also tip your hat to Kolecci and Atcho because for for all the money that's been spent on these on these flop strikers, um, for for somebody to to come in and usurp the the bookmakers' uh, first goal scorer odds like that for for somebody that has been the leading goal scorer for the club for that entire period is is pretty phenomenal. And you know what? Come the game against Southampton on Friday night, I think you're probably going to be looking at the same, aren't you? I think you
0: probably will be. I think you probably will. It, it, it was just startling to see it, and I, it, it knocked me apart. I was like, oh, "Vardy's not the favourite to score the first goal." And if you're not into into the betting in Diego, the then it's absolutely fine. Don't worry about it. But it's um, it was quite a thing. You know, it was like that. It just adds. It puts it down in a different way to just shows you how well coletti has been playing. Uh, but also that slight change in the, the tide. We know that Vardy's still going to be there and he's still the, the figurehead of the club. He's the main man. But for someone to be scoring more goals than Jamie Vardy to the point of he's the favourite. <laughs> that's, that's never happened at Leicester. Again, that's not happened definitely since 2015. Or 14, 15 really, if you want to be accurate. That's the first time that's happened. So it is, uh, we're getting into uh, uncharted territories for for maybe even some supporters who have not really seen that. People listening to this programme who maybe are 16 years old, 17 years old, who have not had Jamie Vardy as the main goal scorer. Ever he's been there all the time since he since they would be supporting the club since they were ten. I always think like ten's probably the the first real year that you you kind of realise and that. So um, yeah, quite quite a, quite a moment. But uh, but there we go. That's wait uh, it might change after Friday. Who knows? Vardy might bag a hat trick and here we are back at the top of the betting charts. Hopefully that's the case because I've got Jamie Vardy in my fantasy football team. And let's take a look now at the Fox 8 Podcast Fancy Football League Top 10 OK then, in 10th place, up into 10th place 2,046 points, we've got FC Vladovich Barber Steve Curtin Down into 9th place, Gareth Bell Bulldogs Forever, 2,047 points uh, down into 8th place, a win by VARD, George Escott with 2,048 points, so only two points split in those three. Uh, up into 7th place, uh, Matt Foister with uh, Foistrant, uh, 2,050 points. No change in 6th place, Ben Melbourne, 2,075 points, Vini Vidi No change in 5th place, uh, Tyler Hunya with Team Lau, 2,080 points. No change in 4th place, Luke Taylor, Taylor made 2,114 points. Down into 3rd place, Humza Yazdani, FC Mordor, 2,129 points. Up into 2nd place, Joe Healy, Les Dennis, 2,133 points. And in front, Sam Lau still, on 2,185 points. Now, last week, mentioned that Sam Lau was well clear at the top. Just a word on Joe Healy's side. Uh, he got 72 points. His forward line was Kalechi Inacho, who was captain, so he got 24 points. And he had Chris Wood alongside him, who got 20 points. Uh, so, a, a brilliant week for him, 72 points. Uh, compared to the 38 of the one in front. So the gap is now down to, what, 52 points. So what I thought was probably unassailable last week is now we've got a bit of a a race on. Um, Leicester doing quite well against Crystal Palace with Kelechi assisting and scoring wasn't quite um, what I needed, personally, because I had Jamie Vardy. I had the choice between the two, and I went for Vardy. Uh, somewhat slightly ruined my week uh, Rob because I was in a decent position I was looking around 15th place but uh, I'm down in 17th but I still have aspirations for that top 10 I'm 34 points off the top 10 so I've got my bench boost to come so I'm still if I have a really good week at one point I reckon I uh, I can
1: pick up that place Rob Hayes not a million miles away, and probably one of the only Leicester fans who wasn't grateful for Coletti nacho being the one that got the assist and the goal uh, against Palace. I have, believe it or not, as of as of right now, achieved my end-of-season objective of dragging my dismal season to some kind of respectable finish whereby I got inside the top 100. 95th, I am. It's not respectable. Uh, well, it's, it's slightly more respectable. I'm five points inside the top 100. I've got 47 uh, this week. I, I've got Ian Acho up front uh, and a captain Salah, but apart from that, nobody really scored any points for me. So it's 11 points above average, but it's enough to take me back into the top 100 for the first time, probably for the first time since uh, since any other striker was top of the favourites uh, for the uh, for first goal scorer.
0: Yeah, you, uh, you you got Mo Salah as your captain, which got you the majority of points, and Claudio uh, Rancho with twelve. Uh, uh, slight question though. Obviously, you captain Salah, which is uh, which was ultimately a good choice. I did the same. Uh, your vice
1: captain was Lewis Dunk. Um, did you press the wrong button? Who did Brighton have? No, Brighton had. Who did Brighton have at the weekend? Sheffield United, wasn't it? Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, Sheffield United don't score goals, so I was just backing him, banking him for a clean sheet in case Salah didn't play. Don't make a difference, does it? Salah played and got got the point.
0: Never mind. Well, anyway, Leicester away at Southampton. Uh, let's just uh, have a quick, just end the podcast with uh, a quick look at the, the rival games then at this stage. Chelsea against Fulham. Uh, you've got Liverpool away at Man United. Uh, and then you've got Burnley against West Ham. Rob, you've got to fancy Chelsea. Now, they're playing in the Champions League. Pretty much as we speak, actually. Uh, but against Fulham at home, you'd have to fancy even with a changed side, even if they put Tammy Abraham's up top or whatever. Fulham have pretty much dropped away. It's gonna be last chance for them. So even if they really fly at Chelsea, you'd have to fancy a home win.
1: Yeah, I feel a bit. I feel a bit sorry for Fulham because they've really not been that bad in in the last few weeks, and they've they've had some disastrous luck. And I quite like the way that they try to play. Uh, they're seven points from safety with five games to go, which looks like too big a gap, you know. Uh, so if they go all out for a win, then then the floodgates could open. Although Chelsea don't particularly score that many goals, but yeah, I can't see Fulham scoring against Chelsea because Chelsea's defence have been absolutely like basically unbeatable under Thomas Tuchel, apart from that freak game against West Brom. So yeah, I can't see. Chelsea slipping up there to be honest and then you look at United against Liverpool big game regardless of
0: where the teams are in the Premier League the, the Liverpool collapse against Newcastle was quite easy to predict when watching the game the last 10 minutes they they just they collapsed um, mentally physically they were just out on their feet and I know Newcastle had that goal disallowed for for, for handball but it just looked like they were gonna score and uh it was no surprise that they scored even though it was like the ninety fourth minute. Fantastic for Leicester. There's gotta be some serious question marks about um about these players now at, at Liverpool. The way that they've again, just collapsed when scoring very early against Newcastle, who some Maximum, some player into, you know, is it's such a such a a live wire you're not quite sure what he's going to do i don't think he's quite sure at some point what he's going to do as well but um he was excellent absolutely excellent and you look at united in their position in europe they got the europa league on thursday etc etc i don't think they're going to really change their side i'm excited by it because on the back of what hopefully is three points for Leicester, it will be a great watch because you can sit there and cheer and on United against Liverpool, you know, to your heart's content and I'm I I can't see Liverpool winning this game. I really can't. Even if their front three or actually front four, all of them played against Newcastle. I I just can't see them hanging on to a win unless their forward line just explodes. I just can't see it. Uh, I can see a draw. I can see both sides playing out a draw in the last 10 minutes. Liverpool almost to the point of exhaustion again. I can't
1: see any reason why that would change. Uh, So, yeah, I'm going to go for a draw. How on earth Liverpool didn't stick six past Newcastle before they even had a sniff of a comeback? I've got absolutely no idea. I had Jota in my fantasy team. He should have scored four or five. He had so many chances. So Liverpool, from a chance creation point of view, yeah, but they'll be so flat after that after that last uh, last minute equaliser against Newcastle. Manchester United are an exceptionally boring team, and I can see that one fizzling out into one of the worst nil nils in living memory, uh, which is absolutely fine for us. You know, the the optimist in me wants Liverpool to win so that we can close the gap to Manchester United and, clinch and, and, and steal second uh, within a couple of games. But the pragmatist in me is like, you know, make Manchester United win the game. Second is not our objective. Keeping everybody that's chasing us as far behind as possible is, and make sure Liverpool don't get the points, because if we win and Liverpool lose, that's an 11-point gap then to them who still really yes we're only four or five games from the end of the season but you're still looking at the chasing pack and thinking if anybody is going to string together the run what liverpool what three wins two doors in the last five games If anybody is going to string together the necessary to get into the top four it's probably going to be them so put as much distance between us as possible but yeah i really can't see it being a very good game at all i'm going to go nil nil and then the final game is Burnley against West Ham. Not a
0: place you really want to go, is it? Turf Moor after they've got their, um, you know, their tails up after a win against Wolves, uh, thrashed them, and our and our old friend Chris Wood with uh, with a hat trick and an assist. There's your fancy captain if you wanted someone. Uh, it, that's a difficult place to go. I know they've got uh, Jay Lings, Lingardino or whatever you want to call him. But they are missing Declan Rice. whether Antonio's back. it's it's. They've got a good run of fixtures, West Ham, before now and the end of the season, in fact. They've got a nice set of fixtures. Uh, but I don't think that's necessarily any help or, or, or hindrance, if you know what I mean, with West Ham. I think whatever West Ham... If West Ham play really well with their best players on the field, uh, they could beat anyone in the league, and they have done. I just think... West Ham will probably falter regardless of who they play against as long as the team they're playing against actually is putting the full effort in and not got half an eye on the Dubai Beach. So I'm thinking Burnley are exactly that sort of side. This is going to be a really tough tie. I I think maybe a draw. uh, Burnley, if I had to pick someone to win, I'd go for Burnley. But I think I'm going to go for for another draw here. But not the sort of game I think uh, David Moyes wanted.
1: No, it's not. West Ham on the back of two consecutive defeats. Burnley, yes, they lost 3 in a row before before smashing Wolves, but and and yes they're virtually safe, but tails up, one more win to be pretty much mathematically secure. They'll be up for it. It's not the kind of team like we discussed uh, about like Palace or Southampton. Although Southampton are on the same points tally as Burnley. I think you know Burnley have always if they've got nothing else they've got some resilience they've got graft they've got work ethic and West Ham have got the same so it could be an interesting clash between two very physical hard-working teams could cancel each other out yeah I'd, I'd if I was making a prediction I'd go 1-1 but this is what we well, I say this is what we predicted this is what we talked about a few weeks ago on the podcast that when we were looking at the teams that were a threat to our top four status, were West Ham actually one of those come the end of the season? I said probably not, and I, I said it almost definitely not. And is this the the sign that things are beginning to tail off and their race is kind of run? couple of key players out, back-to-back defeats, you know they could if they if they lose at the weekend and, and other results uh, go other ways that they, they could slide down then to 7th so it's uh, it could it could be the beginning of the end of the the top 4 dream for west ham um and i still think the the team to look at is liverpool so you know but if burnley could do us a favor bag themselves the the three points they need to stay in the division end or effectively end West Ham's charge for a top four place. It's one less opponent to keep behind you, isn't it? It is that, and and hopefully that's the case this
0: time next week. We really could be in that box position. We could be on the back of a win against Southampton. We could be on the back of Liverpool dropping points, or West Ham, or both, uh, even Chelsea as well, if you want to. But. It could be the case that this time next week we're looking forward to a game against Newcastle at home and you could arguably say a win would secure Leicester top four unless something really, really dramatic happens. That could easily be the case. Hopefully that's the case and hopefully you listen to the podcast as well when we do bring you the podcast next week and that is what's happened. Now... Just a little word about next week, Rob. I'm not entirely sure what the scenario is with regards to us doing the podcast next week because I've got um, a bit of travel and this and the other with work and stuff. So whether we're going to do it or not, not entirely sure. So make sure you stick to the old social media. We'll let you know what the case is. Just looking ahead, the week after, uh, we have games against Manchester United away on the Tuesday night. So it could well be that after the Tuesday uh, uh, we could be then doing the podcast uh, to review those two games and obviously then look forward to the FA Cup final. That could well be the case. But we'll let you all know. And if one does drop into your podcast listening app of choice, then do make sure you give us a listen. And also rate and review, as many podcasts say, because it really does help us. So if you go onto the podcast listening app of choice, uh, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, whatever, uh, make sure you give us a star rating. Five would be nice. Again, it does help towards the podcast. That's it. If you want to get in contact with us, social media at FFS Pod when it comes to Twitter, for Fox8 Podcast, when it comes to Facebook, and if you want to email us for any reason whatsoever, then it's for Fox8 Podcast at gmail.com. Anything else, Rob? Absolutely not. No, but we do like to hear from you, so get in touch. Yes, get in touch. Let me know that I was wrong with my stat about Klechi and Nacho and let us know if you think that we were wrong maybe with our predictions what do you think let us know and then we can uh, maybe pick out one or two hopefully that we're right and uh, and maybe actually start something for we could look at next year with regards to having a bit of a, a predictor league or something uh, what about that rob a predictor league maybe you could come last in that <music>
1: Not last, I'm 95th. <laughs>